son was born. When our second grandson was born, he's a boy. In December, we're going to hear the word, she's a girl. And then in January, we're going to hear the words again, he's a boy. Why do I say all of that? It's because words matter. Wouldn't you agree? Words can change the direction of our life. Words have power. Words matter. Recently, the pastors, Brian and Brian and Dave, asked me to speak today on the theme of who is Jesus? Is Jesus really the Son of God? And I felt that God laid on my heart a theme about His words. So this morning, I want you to take seriously some of the words of Jesus. We're going to explore them But the question that I always want you to ask yourself this day is, what are you doing with the words of Jesus? Before we can ask the question, who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Son of God? That we have to ask the question, is there a God? Correct? Because if there is no God, Jesus cannot be the Son of God. So I want you to think about today, is there a God? And we're going to start by thinking about some things that we just take for granted. And then we'll look at some things that we can't possibly comprehend. And once again, we're trying to discover there's no way that we can scientifically prove that there's a God, but there's a lot of evidences. And in the Bible... The Bible says these words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible also says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 36 says, The Lord merely spoke. You remember, words matter. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed His word and the stars were born. So what do we take for granted? What do we see every day that is an evidence of God, but just to be quite honest, we probably don't think about it. I mentioned earlier that Narita and I currently have um, four grandchildren, two of whom are born, two have not been born yet. And isn't Narita a smoking hot grandma? I'm telling you, I'm married so far above my head, it's amazing. Our oldest grandson recently turned two, and he loves animals. And one day he was riding in the car and we saw a cow and I stopped and I said, Maddox, what does a cow say? And, you know, he did all that. But then I said, Maddox, a cow eats grass and we get steak. Now think about that for a moment. We see it every day. A cow eats grass and we get ribeye. A cow eats grass and we get T-bone. A cow wanders around doing nothing all day except for eating grass and we have a porterhouse in front of us. I saved the best for last. A cow eats grass and we get filet mignon. Does that just happen? Okay, so that you'll remember it. This side, when I point to you, I want you to say ribeye. This side right here says T-bone. This side says porterhouse. And then we're all going to say filet mignon. A cow eats grass, and what do we get? A cow eats grass, and what do we get? A cow eats grass, and what do we get? A cow eats grass, and what do we get? How does that just happen? 
We take it for granted because we see it all the time. But if there's, if there's that kind of creative force, there has to be something behind it. Pigs eat whatever pigs eat, and we get bacon. Guys, I mean, there has to be a God if a pig can eat mud and we can get bacon, right? Anybody with me? Thank you very much, yeah. In our sandy soil, we can grow citrus. We can grow peaches. We can grow blueberries. We can grow... Our phosphate mines causes us to be able to raise more grass so that cows can eat it and we can have more filet mignon, right? Now, we take that for granted because we see it every day, but somehow something had to create that, correct? Did it just happen? What are some things that uh, we take for granted? Uh, Just look around. But here's the point that I want you to make. If there's an intelligent design, in other words, if cows can eat grass and we can get filet mignon, that's intelligent design. If if there's an intelligent design, there has to be what? An intelligent designer. There has to be something behind it. Now, those are the things that we take for granted, but what can we not comprehend? Eric, I need my volunteers now. Okay? You don't have to talk. Okay, prop number two. The first one was the gifts for for Tim. Okay. I need you to hold the golf ball and you to hold the tape. Okay, switch sides. Here, no, you've got to hold that in too. Okay, if the earth... This is Louis Giglio, by the way. You can Google it when you get a chance. If the earth were the size of this golf ball. You see your house on there? You see your new iPhone that you just got to have on there anywhere? Hmm. Kind of looks kind of small, doesn't it? But if the earth were this size, the question becomes, how big would our sun be? Okay, hold the one end right there, Eric. Hold it up against the ball. Go out seven and a half feet. You know how to read that, seven and a half feet? She's a gator. She's a gator. There you go. Okay, that's halfway. Fifteen feet. That's how much bigger our sun is to the earth. Once again, you see Lakeland on this? You see your street? Now, come back to seven and a half feet. Doesn't have to be exact. They're not gonna look they're not gonna know. Okay? Now, as much as you can, start walking in a circle. Because what I want you to see is it's not just this direction, but it's all the way around. Now, here's what will blow your mind. That's how much bigger our sun is to the earth. Okay? And you guys think I drive a long way just coming from Lake Wales. That's how big the sun is. Now, here's what just is amazing to me. Our sun is one of the smaller stars in the galaxy. Think about this. There's, there's a star called Betelgeuse, and the, some scientists call it Betelgeuse. It's two and a half times, not two and a half times the sun, it's two and a half times the Earth's rotation around the sun. Think about that for a minute. 
You following me? If this is the earth and this is the distance, how big the sun is, Betelgeuse is two and a half times that around the orbit around the earth. Didn't they do a great job? Okay, I have gifts for you. I need you to keep that and give that one to somebody. Here's a tape measure. It's only 12 feet, but I'm cheap, okay? (laughs) And what I want you to do is keep the one to remind yourself of how great our God is and give the other golf ball away. I want you to do the same thing, okay? God bless you. Give him a hand. If there is an intelligent design, what does there have to be? An intelligent designer. If God can take a a cow and allow him to eat grass and we can get filet mignon, and he can create a galaxy that is so big that, that beetle geese is two and a half times the size of the sun and it's in the earth's orbit around the sun and the sun is that much bigger than God I think God's a pretty cool God isn't he anybody with me this morning consider these verses again that we just looked at Oop, going the wrong way I'm, I'm, I'm technologically challenged in the beginning what did God create the heavens and the earth the heavens declare the glory of God Psalm 33 says By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, if you keep reading in that verse, it says that God merely spoke and the stars were born. Louis Giglio says, our God is so cool, He's just spitting out stars. Okay, I'm going to age some of you, but how many of you have ever heard the, the group One Republic? They're just counting stars, right? Our God is so cool, He's just spitting out stars. That's how vast and how great our God is. Aren't you thankful for that? So what does this have to do with Jesus? What does this specifically have to do with what Jesus said about Himself? What does this have to do with the power of words? In Mark 14, Jesus was standing before the religious leaders of the day. They were getting ready to crucify Him. And and the chief priest, the head guy, says this question. This is at the bottom of your sermon notes. Then the chief asked Him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed God? Now this is a very big question right here. They're asking, Are you God's Son? Jesus started His answer with two simple words. I am. I am. Anybody that knows the Old Testament, that sounds familiar. Because that's what God called Himself when Moses was standing before the burning bush. He says, who should I say called you? He said, I am who I am. Jesus says, I am, when He's asked the question, Are you the Son of the Most Blessed God? I am and you will see Me, the Son of Man. He calls Himself there the Son of Man, sitting at God's right hand, at the place of power, coming back from the clouds. So that's why I started with these words. Words matter. Words matter. 
if there is a God and Jesus claims to be the Son of God, you and I have a decision to make, don't we? We have to do something with that because either Jesus is who He said He is or He's not. And if He's not, He's lying. Or He's just a crazy man. I mean, think about it. If someone, if someone says, I am God, he, He's either a nutcase, a liar, or He's Lord. As parents, we teach our kids not to lie. You know the best way to teach them? Don't lie yourself. One day, this has been several years ago, when I was the pastor here, came home from church and it hadn't been a particularly good Sunday and our son was in sixth grade. And Narita had two cats. Notice that I said Narita had two cats. I, I, I'm in love with an animal lover, but... They weren't my cats, they were Narita's cats, and they were Caleb's cats. And when I walked in the house, any time before we left, it was Caleb's responsibility to see that the cats were out in the screened-in porch. Came home from church, and once again, it hadn't been the best day, and the, the sliding glass door is open, and the cats are inside. So I go to Caleb trying to teach him responsibility and I said, Caleb, you know that it's your job to put the cats outside before we leave. Dad, I did. Caleb, it's obvious you didn't because the cats are inside and the door is open. Dad, I'm telling you, I did. So now I'm really mad. And uh, not being the best parent in the world at the time, I went... Uh, Papa John's on him. Anybody remember that story? But I went postal on him. I mean, veins were popping out of my neck. And I said, young man, it's one thing not to be responsible. It's quite another to be a liar. Because if you lie about one thing, nobody will believe you. He said, Dad, I did. So, I lost it. Two days later, I'm coming around the corner. And the cats are outside. And I notice Spice pushing on the door. And the cat got inside with the door closed. I begged, I pleaded, I groveled. To this day, I still think Caleb's going through counseling for, for what I did to him. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? Because words matter. Don't they? Words matter. And if someone lies to us about one thing, they'll lie about other things. And when Jesus was asked, Are you the blessed Son of God? He said two words. Say them with me. I am. He's either a crazy man, a liar, or He's Lord. Now that He said it, what are we going to do with His words? A friend of mine once told me that um, I, uh, I'm totally lost. I, I'm looking for the slide that says, uh, I heard someone say, I love the works of Jesus. Can you find it for me? See, once again, what's my goal? To make Brian, Brian, and Dave look good. I'm doing a good job at that, aren't I? 
Okay. A friend of mine once said that people love the works of Jesus, but they don't like the words of Jesus. And I thought that seemed strange, so I got thinking about it. So in John 6, this afternoon when you get home, after our bucks get beat again, um, read John 6. And in John 6, it starts out with the feeding of the 5,000. I find it fascinating that the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the only things that is in all four Gospels. And in the feeding of the 5,000, it's probably literally closer to 20,000 because they only counted the men. So if you had the men, the women, and the children, more than likely, there's 20,000 people there. Now, I, I literally believe that Jesus took two small fish and five small loaves and fed 20,000 people. Now, if He can do that... Here's a question. Why does he need the disciples? Ponder that for a second. Why did he give the disciples responsibility? Here's a side leadership note. What was the disciples' responsibility? Tell people to what? Sit down, and they handed out fish and chips. And then when it was over... What was their responsibility? Pick them up. Okay, if somebody can take two small fish and five loaves and literally feed 20,000 people, does he need the disciples to say, you sit down, you be quiet, you're getting fish, you're getting chips, just be patient. Does he need somebody to do that? Absolutely not. So then the question is why? Because the disciples needed to be needed. In this wonderful miracle, Jesus teaches a leadership responsibility that all of us can learn. Here at the church, oftentimes people say, oh, we don't have anybody to work. Well, who are you allowing to just start out by handing out fish and chips? Small group leaders, have somebody bring Milky Way bars and invite me. Okay? Have filet mignon and invite me. Okay? Have fish Keep me away. <laughs> Give people small responsibilities. This morning I saw the sound guys and gal working with a young guy and I thought, that's a great idea. Teachers here, find somebody that you can give responsibilities to. Parents, grandparents, give responsibilities to your kids. That'll build leaders. Now, let's get back to the main point. People love the works of Jesus. They love it in John 6 whenever He says, you know, here's the fish and chips, and everybody went away full. How would you like to be a college student back then? Can't you just imagine? Dude, this, this teacher man, he, he gave us a lot of food. Now, I don't know if college students still say dude, but if you read the original Greek, it says dude. It really does. Okay? That was funny. Come on, that was funny. People love the works of Jesus. They love the miracle. If you keep going on in John 6, you will find out that 
Jesus not only fed the 5,000, but right after that, He walks on the water. Jesus tells the, the disciples to go out in the boat and a big storm comes up. Don't ever think that if you obey God that your life is going to be smooth sailing. God told, Jesus told them, get on the boat, and a storm came up. So what happens when the storm comes up? Jesus comes strutting across the water. He is moving. He's, he's gliding across, kind of like a combination of Fred Astaire and Michael Jackson and Usher today. He's, he's, just, he's just getting it across there. And people love the works of Jesus, right? We still talk about it. Here's the problem not the works of Jesus, it's the words of Jesus. And remember, words matter. Words matter. But some of you are thinking, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say this? Didn't Jesus say, come to me all that you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest? Aren't those wonderful words? Absolutely. Didn't He say, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life? Didn't He say that? Absolutely. Aren't those wonderful words? Yes. But He also said this. Remember we were in John, and in John 6, He starts out feeding the, ma- uh, feeding the masses, then He walks on water, then after it's all over, He says, I tell you the truth, Unless you eat my flesh of the Son of Man and drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Oh, wow. Is he talking about cannibalism here? I mean, what's, what's he getting at? Now, for some of you that think this is just slipping away for and drinking some grape juice. He was talking much, much more than that because look what happens now. In John 6, it keeps going, and in verse 60 it says, many of his disciples said... Now, what you have to remember, in the book of John, when John refers to the disciples, he's not just talking about the twelve disciples. He calls them the twelve. But he's talking about all the followers of Jesus, and at this time there was estimated at least 300 Many of his disciples, that's the 300, said these words, this is hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? What's this mean, Jesus? I've got to eat your flesh and drink your blood. And that doesn't make any sense. And here was their response. John 6, 66, it says these words. At this point, many of his disciples turned and deserted him. See... It's the words of Jesus that we have to deal with. We have to deal with, is He the Son of God? Because He said He was. And he's, if, he, if He is, are you all in? I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's using poker terms. And He's saying, guys, are you all in? If I am who I say I am, are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to sacrifice for me? Are you willing to, to die for me? Are you willing to do things for me to help change the world? See, Jesus never once made it about coming to church and feeling good about a sermon and feeling good about the songs and just going home and not changing. He says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
At times, all of us are called to sacrifice. And in the Christian world, that doesn't mean just, did you get the new flat screen TV or were you able to turn in your, your uh, four-bedroom, three-bath house for a five-bedroom, four-bath house. Jesus is talking about sacrifice. Sacrificing our time, sacrificing our talents, sacrificing our personal preferences. Oftentimes when we think about sacrifice, we rightfully think of the military. And on my heart in recent days, the World War II vets, they are uh, they're dying every day and there's very few of them left. But are you aware that in this congregation there were people that were uh, at D-Day? There are people in this congregation that was at Pearl Harbor when the bombs dropped. There were people who was a man who was a medic at Okinawa. Those people sacrificed for us and some of their spouses are still here today. I want to honor one of them and you'll see why I selected her in just a moment. Loretta, I have a gift for you, darling. Could you come forward, please? You don't have to speak because I know Jay was the one that liked to talk, but I have a gift for you. I want you to know there's a generation that sacrificed a great deal so that this church could be here. Um, let, them, let them tell you their story. Tell them how they put up with so many changes, but they still love the church. So Loretta, I love you, darling. And uh, this is in honor of your sacrifices. Thank you so much. Um, can you stay for the can you stay for the second service so I can do the same thing? And I'll, and I'll, okay. Others of you understand that. Now, the reason why I intentionally picked Loretta is we're going to see a, a movie clip, and then I'm going to wrap it up after that. But when we're talking about sacrifice, it ought. Uh, I think about the military and all that they sacrifice, and it's probably about 10, 11 years ago now that, that Saving Private Ryan um, was on. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's Tom Hanks plays, plays a character who has to go out and find Private Ryan, who is played by Matt Damon, and, and <clears throat> because Matt Damon's brothers were killed in the, in, at D-Day, and they had to go find uh, this this young man and Tom Hanks was the commander and he lost several of his men and the part that we're going to see is right where he gets shot so let's show that Sir, P-51s. Angels on our shoulders. 
sense of joy that I write to inform you, your son, Private James Ryan, is well and at this very moment on his way home from European battlefields. Reports from the front indicate James did his duty in combat with great courage and steadfast dedication, even after he was informed of the tragic loss your family has suffered in this great campaign to rid the world of tyranny and oppression. I take great pleasure in joining the Secretary of War, the men and women of the United States Army, and citizens of a grateful nation, in wishing you good health and many years of happiness with James at your side. Nothing, not even the safe return of a beloved son, can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache. And I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln Yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General, Chief of Staff. Earn this. Does all in mean that we have to earn it? Because there was a young man who became an old man and he felt like all of his life he had to earn what had been done for him. The beauty of the gospel is you can't earn it. You can't earn it. The Bible says these words, Salvation is not a reward for the good works that you have done so that no one can boast. It's a free gift. That's why Jesus, the very Son of God, gave His very life for us. This man who was fully man and yet fully God comes to earth and lives a sinless life and someone sticks their finger in his face and says, Are you the Son of Man? And he says, I am. And they killed him for it. So the question that I have for each one of us today is, Jesus said it, now what are we going to do with it? I'm going to end with this story. This is another reason I selected Loretta. In my hand is, 
is a simple jar of sand. This is one of my most treasured possessions. I'll have this until I can't breathe anymore. Why? It's just sand, right? I'm a gator. I'm from Florida. There's sand everywhere. You can get sand no matter where you want to go. Back in 2002, Jay Bird and Loretta went back to Normandy. And Jay uh, brought some sand back from those still blood-stained beaches and said, I want you to have this. God bless you. In among itself, this sand is just sand. But when you know what it stands for, it comes so much more, doesn't it? In just a moment, we're going to take communion. The wafer represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. The, the juice represents His blood. It's very similar to this. And when Jesus said... No man, unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, can have eternal life. He's not just talking about dinking the the wafer and walking and, and going away unchanged. He's talking about, are you all in? Why bother? Why be all in? What's that verse say? And the reward for being all in, the reward for eating His flesh and drinking His blood is what? The verse says, you'll have eternal life. You'll have eternal life. So today we end with this question. As you take communion, ask yourself one final time, if Jesus is who He says He is, are you all in? As Brandon and the worship team comes forward, we're going to serve communion at this time. and The stations are around. You can just make your way to that as we sing. Pray with me. Why don't you stand? Holy, precious Lord God, we thank you that uh, words do matter. While we marvel at your works, we also marvel at your words and God I humbly ask that we would take seriously right now your teaching we would take seriously when you said that you're the son of man what are we going to do with it I pray heavenly father that we would take those words seriously in the holy honorable and precious name of Jesus we pray amen as we sing Head to one of the stations.